Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right. We're going to continue our series on relationships uh, today. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. Um, I love this this chapter of Scripture. It's one that I go back to over and over again. And as we are setting up the next stage of relationships that we're going to talk about today, and that being the family, I was looking at the verses at the end of Colossians 3. But in reading it in context, in looking back and, and setting up uh, this message, the entire chapter kind of recaps the last two weeks on our messages of relationship. See, we started out our series that we were, re- we were created for a relationship with the Lord. We looked extensively at the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve and how they enjoyed time with the Father. And it continues... To, to see that over and over again. Turn back just a little bit to chapter 2, verse 6, before we begin in chapter 3. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ as Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. We see here this, this picture of if, if you are in Christ, then you need to walk with Him. You need to call Him Lord. If you received Him as Lord. And many times when I study Scripture, I, I kind of fixate on one word and kind of dwell there. And when I look at Lord, I have to ask, what does it look like for Him to be Lord of my life? I would call Christ my Lord, but, but what does that look like? Is He truly on the throne in my life? On the throne in my heart? Is it Him who rules all of my being? Because it says for us, if we've received Him as Lord, to walk in Him. I think sometimes my walk isn't what it's supposed to be because He's not enthroned in my heart. But we are called to walk with the Lord. And that brought up the imagery that we looked at in Genesis of Adam and Eve literally walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. And what that relationship, what abiding with Him looks like, what, what communion and fellowship, what relationship with the Lord is supposed to be. And yet we as believers are called for Him to be Lord and for us to walk with Him, being rooted and built up in Him. I'm afraid so many times we think of our relationship with the Lord as that day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now that's a, a very important day. That is the only way and the very beginning of everything that's supposed to happen of us walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. But boiling down our walk with the Lord to a day of salvation is much like me talking about being married and saying on September 2nd in the year 2000 at 3 or 4 in the afternoon I got married. Now that one hour ceremony was amazing. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I remember the door opening and this beautiful woman walking down the aisle. I remember us talking at one point and I remember driving away. 
Okay, that, that was the beginning of our marriage, but our marriage has 14 years of stories, right? Some ups, some downs, some twists, some turns. Our marriage cannot be described as one hour. And our relationship or our walk with the Lord cannot be confined to our salvation experience. It begins there, but it must be growing and moving and processing forward from there. Now turn to Colossians 3 and we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture and see how that looks like being played out. If then, verse 1, you have been raised with Christ, that is if you have received Christ as Lord, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. If we're His, we're going to seek the things that are above. If we're His, we're going to set our mind on the things of God. He will be our focus and His plan will become our life. If He's on the throne of our lives, then He will be our focus. This passage says that if we've died, we've died to self. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And I love how he says that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. Again, when I was reading this account, it just kept taking me back two weeks ago when we were in Genesis. Remember Adam and Eve were hiding from God, right? Where were they hiding? They were hiding behind a bush, literally from God, because sin had separated them from Him and had broken that relationship. But what this passage here in Colossians is saying is our life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, it's a very different picture for us as believers because of our trust and faith in Him, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We're not hiding from Him. We're clinging to Him. Our righteousness is only found in Him. Because of what Christ did, I'm okay with God. Because of my relationship with Him, I'm okay and I can cling to Him. It is His righteousness that I claim as my own. It's a beautiful picture of us as believers. Jerry Bridges stated it this way, when we realize we were created in the image of God and that we were accepted by God solely on the merits of Jesus Christ, that nothing we will ever do will cause Him to love us more or to love us less, and that He has a plan for our lives and will enable us through His Spirit to live out that plan, the person with godly self-respect freely admits that nothing good lives in his sinful nature. But he also knows that nothing, not even his sins or failures, can separate him from God's love. He has decided that since God has accepted him on the basis of his grace, he will accept himself on the same basis, that is, God's grace. He therefore looks outside of himself to Christ to find his self-respect. He strives towards the goal not to win acceptance, but because he has already been accepted. Because of Christ's holiness, we're literally found in Him. We, we find that there is no punishment for us because our punishment was placed on the cross. And so, therefore, that's how we set our minds and our thoughts on Him because we're consumed with the One who, who saved us, with the One who redeemed us, the One who purchased us. You see, we were created for that relationship with Him. And when we understand that, our thoughts and our affections will naturally drift to Him. Continuing verse 5, as we read in Colossians 3, we see instructions on how we're going to live this out. 
The things we talked about last week, that we were created for a relationship with the local church. We were created to work this out with the body of Christ. He has placed us together in order that we might work out our sanctification. Yes, it's our responsibility to become like Christ. It's our responsibility to obey God's Word. But He's placed us in the body of Christ so that we would have encouragement along the way. The ministries of this church, the Sunday school classes, the things that we do, we do in order that we might spur one another on, encourage one another, edify one another, rebuke one another, that we might come alongside each other to do this together. Just this week, a couple of couples were over at our house having dinner, and it was one of those situations where the, the, the discussion led to some, some talk about somebody who had made a mistake. There was actually relief at the table. Oh yeah, you don't have it all together either. Let's talk about me. And the longer we talked, the more we, we came to the place that we wanted to be right with the Lord and how we could encourage each other in that process. Now, very quickly, I'm going to read to you these, uh, these, these verses in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5, this long list of things that He desires for us to do. And I believe that we are to do these within the context of local church. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away all things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here come all the one another's we talked about last week. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has complaints against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, this, this list of all these things that we're supposed to rid of our lives, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, obscene talk, all these things that we've got to work out of our lives in order that we, our relationship with the Lord must be right. We're not to lie to each other, but put off the old self and put on a new self that we might be created, this new creation that we are only able to be because of Him. Again, I believe that this is best done in community. I'm thankful to be part of a church that links arms with each other, that, that, that literally we can share our lives together as we attempt to display compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. 
as we bear with one another like we talked with last week, forgiving one another, loving one another, and being at peace with one another. This is our witness to the community that Jesus has changed our lives. That our relationship with Him is prevailing in such a way that it is affecting our relationships with each other. And this is a witness that the Lord God can change us. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Now we get to the, the, the meat of where we wanted to be today. And the third message on relationships is that we were created for a relationship with our family. We were created for relationships with our family. God actually desires that our relationship with Him would overflow and affect how we respond one to another. The reality is, is our family knows us better than anyone, Right? Our family sees us at our best, sometimes doing things that no one else recognizes, serving and doing things behind the scene. Our family also sees us at our worst, right? My family might be the only one that's ever done this. Have you ever been trying to get all the kids ready for church and get out the door and they don't have your shoes and you're not ready and you get in the car and you're yelling and you're fussing and you get to the church and you walk in and all of a sudden things change, right? How are you? Oh, blessed. Good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. I'm so oh, come on. Come on, sweet children. You know what our kids must be thinking? Who are you? Do you not remember what just happened in the car? Right? They, they see the conflict here. They see both sides of what's really going on. Our family understands all of who we are. And yet we have clear commands in Scripture how we are to relate to each other. They see us at our best. They see us at our worst. But the verse that we just read, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus is going to overflow in how we respond with each other in our family units. Now I understand we all have different, we're all at different stages of our lives here and there's, there's verses here for all of us. So we're going to start with verse 18. The first thing we see here is a word to the wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Did any of y'all notice that I waited until my wife was out of the country (laughs) to preach this message? Not only out of the country, but in a country that doesn't have internet. (laughs) Okay, she can't watch this. When she gets back, there's no reason to tell her what I'm about to say. (laughs) Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, can I just go ahead and say it? The Lord instructs wives to submit to their husbands. It is in Scripture. It is God's plan. Now the question becomes, what does that mean? Because it doesn't mean slavery. It doesn't mean that a demeaning situation. It is not that they are inferior. This is not about being sexist. This is about roles. It's not about worth or power. It's more about function and honor. And yes, I understand that this is an area of marriage relationships that can be abused. But the reality is, is God does say, wives, submit to your husbands. See, it's, it's about arranging under rank. 
You see, you look at, the, look at the army and there's different positions. There's a colonel and an enlisted and they're both in the same army. They're both men under authority. They're both on the same team. They're both trying to accomplish the same thing, but they have different ranks, different roles. The fact that a woman is to submit to her husband does not suggest that the man is better than the woman. When a Christian woman is submitted to the Lord first and foremost and to her husband, she experiences relief and fulfillment that she can have no other way. This mutual love and submission creates an atmosphere of growth that enables the wife and the husband to be all that they were created to be. Now think about this. We're all to submit to the Lord. We all submit to Him and we have no problem with that. We can read verses all day long about submit to the Lord and all of His commands and we would all nod our heads and say, Amen, why is that so easy for us? Because the Lord God is good and righteous and holy and has never faltered in our lives in any way. And yet, women are being asked to submit to husbands who are flawed. In the parallel passage in Ephesians 5, we read, Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The verb is used 38 times in Scripture. Many times it's used for the Lord saying, I will subject all things under my feet. Okay? That's in the one tense. But in the other tense, which is the one that's used here with wives, the middle voice, it's described as a voluntary submission. A voluntary submission which displays Christian humility. This is the wife's decision, a willing placement under authority or leadership of her husband. This is her decision, not his demand. There's a very difference there. There's a big difference between saying, I demand you to submit, and for her to say, I do submit. Now Paul completes this command or this instruction with as is fitting to the Lord, as is proper to the Lord. Paul makes it clear here that such submission is an outworking of the Lordship of Christ in the life of the wife. Now the obvious concern for women here today is that you're calling me to submit, but what about him abusing this power? What if he does wrong with this? Let's go on and move on to the husbands because every one of these relationships there's the other side. So we've seen a word to the wives. Let's look at a word to the husbands. In verse 19 of Colossians 3, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. The parallel passage in Ephesians Chapter 5 reads like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands are to love. Now again, I've already told you that, that when I'm studying, I, I, I fixate on a word. And so, so I, I, I sat there and I said, okay, I'm supposed to love. Whether she submits or not, I'm supposed to love. So how do I do that? Well, 1 Corinthians says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. 
Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Husbands, love your wives. That's God's command for you. Now, ladies think it's hard to submit, and I'm sure it must be, but let me tell you, after reading this list of what it means for me to love her unconditionally, loving our wife is hard as well. But the question really isn't for you and I today, how hard is it for us to work this out, right? Because the reality is it's very difficult. And if we want to make those excuses, we're going to go down a path that leads us to a place that we won't want to talk about. But the truth is that God commands us to live this way in our relationships with each other. And when we do this, when we, we do this in the way that God has intended it, then He'll receive the glory. Paul adds, love as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. There's this picture of Christ dying on behalf of the church, literally giving Himself instead of her, the church, receiving the wrath. Both these commands are impossible for us to fully achieve in and of ourselves, but with the Spirit of God we can do them. Now Paul follows this command for us to love with an admonition, do not be harsh to them. Now husbands, why would we have reason to be harsh with our wives? Mine's out of the country so I can talk. Y'all sit real still and act like this doesn't apply to you. Why is it hard? Well, I think it's kind of like a warning sign for us. I think harshness in marriage is kind of like that light in the car that begins to blink. Something's wrong. Something needs attention here because something's not functioning in the way that it's supposed to function. Either the husband has decided that he's Lord of the universe, okay, and harshness begins to happen because he is lording over instead of letting the Lord God be the head of the house. Or the wife has decided she doesn't have to submit or be part of this relationship. She can go her own path. And he is left feeling very frustrated because he's supposed to be leading and she's not there to follow. And harshness begins to invade. But the command for husbands is do not be harsh. How, how do we work this self out? You see this command that serves as a warning for us that we're not functioning the way God has intended it to work. Now very practically, how does this work? You see, for wives, it, it can work out very good for you. Because in the end, it's not your fault. And here, here's an explanation of that. Years ago, when William was young, Joshua was just a baby. Margaret Ann wasn't even here yet. We were in the car coming back from Memphis. It was a long ride back to the town that we lived in. And, and Hannah leaned over and said, Honey, the, the speed limit's 55. Well, I know what the speed limit is. I've been driving 10 years longer than you have. Don't you worry about the speed limit. I've got this. Very wonderful, godly response, right? So what did Hannah do? She just turned and looked out the window and watched the fields go by more than 55 miles an hour at a time. And a few minutes later, the, the light, the night light, illuminated with the blue light. And we pulled over beside the road 
And a nice man came up to the window and when he went back to write me a note, we sat in silence. She didn't say a word. William, however, had to come apart. Daddy, I don't want you to go to jail. (laughs) It's okay, son, be quiet. This isn't the time for us to talk about me getting a ticket. I don't want you to go to jail. So mom had to unbuckle, go back, calm down my son that I wasn't going to go to jail. For just $93, I was allowed to stay part of this family. So I got my ticket. We calmly, slowly drove away. What did Hannah have to say at that point? Nothing. There was no reason for her to say a thing. It had all been handled, right? She had a voice. She used her voice. And I neglected to include that as part of our family. Whose fault was it that $93 was gone out of the budget? Mine. Who was to blame that we were going to miss bedtime? Mine. Literally for months when William saw a police car, who was to blame for his come apart? Me. It was a very safe place for Hannah because it was all my fault. You see, when we do things God's way, we can find that it works out His way. That was an example of me failing. I have stories that I could share of the other side, but we won't do that. What does this have to do with being a Christian? What does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with living out our relationships with each other? I believe it has everything to do with it. You see, a husband who understands the love of God in his life, the fact that God sent his son on his behalf, he understands the gospel will be able to serve his wife with an undying love for her good in order to point her to Christ even when he doesn't like it, even when he's not getting his way. What would have happened if I would have just smiled and slowed down just a couple of miles an hour? And a wife who understands that Jesus understands what it is to submit because Jesus knelt in the garden before He was arrested and said, Lord, if there's any way that this cup could pass for me, if there's any way for me not to do this, I don't want to do it. Wives, have you ever felt like that with your husbands? If there's any way that I just don't want to deal with this. But the last statement that Jesus said was, Lord, not my will, but Yours. Wives, He's shown us how to submit by being willing to trust God's way. And when both the husband and the wife have their relationship with the Lord God in such honor that it trumps everything else, when my relationship with Him is so much more important than what I feel about how she's responding in that moment, then God's design for the home will prevail. Now can I share with you the rest of the story? It would be real easy for me to continue going on in this relationships and start talking about children and parents and move right on. But I don't want to walk away today and say, if you just do it God's way, you're going to have a perfect marriage. Because the reality is is that we live with a sinful flesh. And the reality is, is that all of our relationships struggle because of our own sinfulness. And Hannah and I have been there as well. I think one of the things that we can, can miss the point is coming to church and acting like we have it all together. I think y'all know that my I don't have it all together. But we don't. 
Years ago, I was in youth ministry and I was pouring myself out to 180 kids and I would stay up late praying with kids and I would go to Bible studies and I would give and I would give and I would give and I came home exhausted and then when I came home to a wife who needed more of my attention, I was on empty. Hannah and I found ourselves in a place to where my loving leadership was struggling and her submissive response was struggling and we were not functioning as we should. And the warning sign was on. There was harshness. There was whining. There was complaining. There was not what it was supposed to be. And I found ourselves in a situation that we had to go get help. We had to go talk to somebody else because when we talked to each other, we, were, we argued. We, we, were, we were battling to discuss who was worse instead of being reminded that He was King and we wanted to fall back under that umbrella and remember that we were all that we were supposed to be. I remember when I was meeting with the committee to come to Rosemont, I was asked a question I wasn't prepared for, and they said, what is it that you haven't told us? What is it that we don't know? I don't know what they thought my response was going to be, but in that moment I shared with them that Hannah and I had struggled, and that we had been in counseling for our marriage. Our marriage was safe, or we were good, but we, had just, we were hurting, and that we needed to be loved on. The reality is is that we all get in these ruts. And I want to just say right now from the pulpit, if you're in that place, go back to God's Word. Be reminded what love means. Be reminded what submission means. Be reminded of God's plan for your marriage. And be reminded that you can honor Him by living that out. And if you're struggling beyond what anybody else around you realizes, find somebody to talk to. Find a couple that's older than you that, that love the Lord God and are walking with Him. Or find help. And we've seen wives and we've seen husbands. Now a word to children. Parents, hold your applause for verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything for it pleases the Lord. Paul speaks to the children first. He's going to speak to the parents, kids, so don't have a, a come apart yet. But just as he talked to the wives to submit to their husbands, now he tells the children to obey their parents. Now, submission was voluntary, but the word obey here is a command. Children, obey. But what if they're wrong? Obey them. What if they don't understand? Obey them. What if my other friend's parents do this? Double obey your parents. What if they just don't get it? It's not fair. Obey. The Lord says obey your parents. Now can I just tell you students, your parents are doing the best that they can. Most of my students are over here. Your parents are trying to raise you the best that they can. They have your best interests at heart. I know parents make mistakes. My parents made mistakes. I could tell you some. We're not going to go there. For the best that they are, they're doing what they can to point you to live and to be a, 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 a believer and, and to honor the Lord. You've got to trust them. You've got to obey them. You've got to follow their leadership. You might be surprised at what might happen if you'll do it. Just like the husband and the wife relationship is going to balance itself out, children obeying will balance itself out for parents. 
Let me tell you a story. When I was a, a youth minister, I had a, a student who came to church and she, she was growing in the Lord. She was studying the Bible. She was thriving in her walk with the Lord. Her parents, however, weren't really coming to church. They weren't involved. They weren't part of what was going on. And she came to the place to where she felt like she was supposed to go on our next mission trip. She was so excited to be part of this. And, and I knew she, was, she had heard from the Lord. I knew that she was thriving. She said, but my parents don't want me to go. Now, they didn't say, I forbid you to go, but they don't want me to go. They don't want me to have any part of it. Now, I think I can raise the money. I think I can get a, a job. I think I can work it out. Brother Randy, can I go? What is your counsel? My counsel for her that day in my office was honor your father and mother and obey your parents, even if it means you miss this trip. Because God will prevail. And she walked away very discouraged that day, but she said, I will. I'll pray for him every day. I said, now don't go home and say, I'm praying that God come down on you. Just go home and honor your father and mother. You do what's right for you. Can I tell you that weeks later, the day before the deadline for that mission trip, her dad walked in my office. And he closed the door and he said, I guess you know why I'm here. And I was like, oh no. What did she do? He said, she's been so respectful and she's been so good. And she is walking with the Lord in a way that I know that I need to be. And God's convicted me that I've missed it. I want to pay her deposit. I want her to go. And I want you to help me get where I need to be. Can I tell you, God honors things when we live out the Christian life the way He's called us to do it. If we will just trust Him and and do our part, the rest comes together. Children, obey your parents. It boils down to their responsibility. If you let them do what they're supposed to do, you worry about what you're supposed to do. You see, if a parent fails to guide and instruct a child and they grow up to be a hoodlum, who do we blame? Well, they had horrible parenting. But if a godly parent tries to raise a child and disappoint them the way and the child rebels, who do we blame? The child. So it's your choice to obey your parents and follow their instruction and put the responsibility back on them or to think that you somehow are smarter than the entire world and put it all on yourself. God designed the family to function in a certain way. Now a word for the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now the word here for fathers is used elsewhere in Scripture for parents and I believe that this verse applies to both parents. Looking at the parallel passage in Ephesians, we read, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a strong warning for us as parents to not provoke our children, not to push them to the point that they lose heart. Any of you who've spent much time with kids know that they they need some some nudging, right? We've got to push them along. Yes, you have to do your homework. No, multiplication really is important. Yes, you have to do this. Come on, come on. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And eventually, we get to see. We have that parent moment where we see the light come on and they get it. But sometimes we find ourselves and we've been pushing and we've been pushing and we realize that we push too far. We cross that line and they give up. They lose spirit. We exasperate them. And as parents, we've missed it. 
So many times it's easiest to see this in the lives of others. I was in Walmart the other day and I heard a parent cross the line from three rows over. And I knew in that moment they were they had just gone too far. They pushed too far and their kids had to come apart. I'm not, I'm, my kids are too young for me to sit here and lecture y'all or to give you pointers on how to be great parents and all the things that you should do in order to make this work. But I will read this poem to you. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. And if a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If he lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. And that's not in Scripture, but it helps us understand how we are to be actively involved as parents in raising our children and not causing them to give up. Now finally, we've seen a word to the wives, a word to the husbands, to the children and to the fathers. Now a word to servants. Verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but of sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do work heartily is for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In the context of Paul's writing in this day, he was talking to slaves and masters. In in today's context, this is employees and employers. How we relate to our bosses. Now again, my boss is in another country without internet, so this is a great opportunity for me to tell a story. No, I'm not going to do that. It says, even when they're not able to watch you, don't do it. But you know, just like husbands and wives and parents and child, the principles for masters and servants is the same. The Lord God's relationship with us must affect how we respond with our employees and with our employers, how we respond to those over us. I've worked for those who don't know the Lord. I've been a believer serving an unbeliever. It can be very frustrating. Or... It can be the biggest witness you've ever seen if we do it well. Paul instructs servants to obey our earthly masters not just when they're looking, but with sincerity. Alright, when you struggle with obeying your boss, think about it this way, as fearing the Lord. Do all things as unto the Lord. And when you do your job as unto the Lord, you don't have to worry about whom your boss is. Positively, Paul promises that the Lord will repay them for their faithfulness. Negatively, Paul warns them those who do wrong will receive consequences without partiality. God is impartial and He understands. Now finally, a word to the masters. Masters are to treat their servants with justice and fairness. Masters will be reminded they will be judged by the master. All, all of us one day will stand before the Lord God and give an account for everything that we've ever said and everything we've ever done. So here's the question for us today. 
As we continue to look at relationships, and we looked at many relationships today, is our relationship with the Lord God such that He is on the throne of our heart in such a way that it affects how we respond to our wives? Because our, our relationship with the Lord is in such a way that it, it helps us in how we submit to our husbands, how we love our wives, how we honor and obey our parents, how we don't frustrate our children, how we serve our bosses as employers. Is our relationship with the Lord God truly what guides us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that You, by Your Spirit, would help us. Lord, as we work out our relationships in our home, Lord, we pray that our relationship with You will be so grounded that it will truly affect our marriages. Lord, I pray for every marriage in this room, Lord God, that You would be glorified in how we respond to our spouses. Lord, that You would remind us of Scripture, that You, by Your Spirit, would help us even when the other spouse may or may not be responding in the way that You would have them respond, that You would give us the grace to do our part. Lord, for children and for parents trying to work out and to grow and to be instructed in the ways of the Lord, God, we pray that You would, by Your Spirit, give them grace. For employers and employees, Lord God, that we would serve You whatever we do in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, be glorified because of our relationship with You and our relationships with others. In Christ's name we pray. Let's stand and worship together. And rejoice in the fact that He's not done with us, that He has a plan for how we live our lives. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.